Every once in a while you see a bumper sticker or a poster that reads something like, Stay awake, Jesus is coming. You may even see some billboards along the way this time of year. And laden with an apocalyptic nuance, the message of this text and such phrases as this have both a mandate for us as well as a word of hope from our Lord. This message comes straight from the passage of scripture such as this. For those of us who use the lectionary readings, for the past month or so, we have heard several of these passages that talks about this very thing of staying awake and that Jesus is coming. While as Christians, we know the mandate to stay awake comes straight from Jesus' teaching and that Jesus has promised to return Many of us still take offense with such bumper stickers or billboards or posters. And that is, I believe, because Jesus' words have been misinterpreted for so many years. The interpretations of passages such as this that I've just read refer to the second coming of Jesus as often, or often interpreted to sound like, Jesus is coming, make sure you're behaving yourself, and that you can get to heaven. I heard that when I was a child, and I imagine a good number of you did as well. But it sounds like Santa Claus, doesn't it? <laughs> you know, Santa Claus is coming to town. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been good or bad, so be good for goodness sake. Making God sound like Santa Claus always looking over your shoulder, making a list and checking it twice. But that's not what Jesus is all about. We all know that our bodies were not created to stay physically awake all the time, and the thought of being expected to do so can be a source of resentment or at least anxiety producing. Was it not Jesus who said we must work for the, the works of him who sent us, while it is day for night is coming when no one can work? If we were to view this mandate to stay awake from a physical perspective, perhaps considering a conversation that happened this past Saturday morning here at Richmond Hill will help us to get a perspective on this. Leslie, Joel, Mary, Wayne, and I were sitting at the table together eating breakfast. And Leslie asked if we had had a good night's nice rest. And we all responded, and I said, yeah, I went to bed about 7.30. But I woke up at 2.30 and couldn't get back to sleep. I was well rested. And since I couldn't get back to sleep, I got up and I started reading and writing. And as the conversation continued, Leslie shared that she was so grateful that I had taken the time to read and write while she slept. Amen. And she went on to say that it's important to her to know that there are people, especially writers, she say, because she is a writer, who are continuing to write through the night while she is asleep. And let's explain how important it is to her to know that others are carrying forth an important discipline when it's not her turn to do so. 
Later in the day on Saturday, I was still reflecting on Leslie's comment when I was reminded of a story of a guy who had been in Vietnam. And he said while he was in Vietnam, he rose during the night to find the watchman for the hour fast asleep. So the soldier woke the watchman while holding a knife to his throat. And he said to him something like, you know, I only have 14 days left to get back to my wife and children. And if I ever catch you sleeping on your watch again, you're a dead man. Now, while this threat to this fellow soldier seemed pretty harsh, from a human relations standpoint, this threat Leslie's joy in knowing that I was reading and writing while she was sleeping and Jesus' admonishment to stay awake all carry the same understanding that the night watches are to be shared. It's a shared responsibility. And as we've sat with this, these lectionary passages over the past few weeks, the phrases keep coming up, keep alert, keep awake, stay awake. And I knew in my heart it had very little to do with physically staying awake. So the question came up, what are we supposed to stay awake to? But we have both a biblical and a historical context which helps us to understand that in his first coming, more than anything else, Jesus tried to wake humanity up to things that really matter. And especially the things that matter to God. You know how we are, we can get so hung up on things that really doesn't matter, or don't matter. Obviously, there are things in life that matter and there are things that don't. But the difficulty comes when we try to discern between the two. Sometimes we find ourselves in conflict. It can be inward or outward conflict. Even nations go to war because they're trying to discern between the two. And what sometimes, when things seem important, they don't really matter at all, especially not to God. And it's when in conflict about these matters, whether they be inwardly or outwardly, that we find ourselves in those dark places. Insisting on how different we are from other people, that's a place of darkness. And even darker is to allow those differences to become our prominent matter of concern. And then when both sides start insisting on focusing on differences, everybody becomes blind to what God, what matters to God. During this first week of Advent, as we light the candle of hope, not only in this Advent wreath, but in our lives, we accept the invitation to prepare our lives for what's to come. We accept the invitation to wake up to the things that matter to our God and our Christ. And what mattered to Jesus at his first coming will be also what matters to him in his second coming. What matters to God is shared humanity. 
Jesus wanted to transform our relationships with God and our relationships with one another. And it's in this place of transformation and reconciliation that we can find hope in the world. It's a place where all of creation cries out. For creation itself waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God, the word of God tells us. And creation is subjected to fertility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who, is, who subjected it. And hope, creation itself will be set free from the bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Advent is a time of waiting and preparing ourselves for that which will transform our understanding of God and transform us in the likeness of God. You see, Christmas is not about us going to God. It's about God coming to us. God so loved the world that God came into the world to be with us. Emmanuel, God with us. And holding this truth allows us to begin to relax in our relationship with God. Even when we have fallen short. Even when we have been good or bad. For those things matter less to, less to God than the fact that we know that God meets us where we are and God does that with love. I believe that Jesus still wants us to be transformed. And Jesus is still transforming that human phenomenon that has been with us throughout history. For we as human beings have had anxious and fear-laden relationship with God since the beginning of time. Whenever bad things happen, we assume that we've been bad and that we've lost favor with the gods. And to regain favor with gods, we relieve our anxiety by making sacrifices to those gods. Sometimes even making sacrifices of another human being or an animal, if you remember. And we forget that it is God who says, I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Because, God's, because love in our human relationships tends to be conditional, I suppose learning to trust in God's unconditional love will be a lifelong process for all of us. We all know that the world can be cutthroat at times. We live in a world where our sense of goodness is often created by comparing ourselves to one another, where winners can only exist because they are losers, where some people are included and others are excluded, where love and acceptance depend on living up to somebody's expectation, whether it be family or friend or neighbor or employer. When Jesus speaks of the watches of the night, it's a reminder to me and I imagine to you as well that all of these things can contribute to the works of darkness that can so easily pervade our lives 
and it zaps our spiritual energy and oftentimes consume our lives. The news is filled with such darkness, violence of every kind, male and female relationships, wars and rumors of wars, political rivalry and devastating natural disasters. Where is the hope we seek in the midst of stuff that keeps us feeling so vulnerable? We find hope when we wake up to what matters to God, what really matters to God. You see, the problem with that Santa Claus-like God is that you never know where you stand with that God. You're left wondering, had I been good enough? And none of us can really answer that, if that's be the case. There are too many of us already who don't feel like we're good enough. We ask if we're a good enough parent, or we're a good enough grandparent. Am I a good enough spouse? Am I good enough for the work that I do? Am I good enough in the ministry I provide or in the school that I'm attending? Am I good enough for my friends even? We have enough anxiety in our lives so that there is no good news in believing that there is an all-powerful God threatening and in marriage with us with immeasurable demands. There is no hope in that. So as we move through this Advent season, we will see once again that in the story of Jesus' birth, angels and shepherds alike came during the night watches saying, don't be afraid. And it's the same message we hear from Jesus over and over again. Do not fear. Do not be anxious. Trust God. And should we view Jesus' admonishment with spiritual lens, we would remember that Jesus taught his disciples that no matter what, God valued them and cared for them. And even in the Sermon of the Mount, if you remember, he said, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, about your body, what you would wear. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather in bonds, and yet their heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? He also taught that God causes God's Son to rise on the evil and the good. God sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. God's love. God's grace, my friends, reaches out to us all, whether we deserve it or not. And Jesus plainly teaches that whether we are good or bad in the eyes of those around us, that in the eyes of God we are loved. God is love. And perfect love casts out fear. So whenever I hear someone react to a bumper sticker or poster such as stay awake, Jesus is coming, I sense that there is some misunderstanding, some misinterpretation 
of the good news, the message that comes from our Lord. The hope of Advent has not been internalized. God is light, and in God there is no darkness at all. And in this we can find hope. God's love is reconciling and restoring the world and all of humanity, putting an end to national and personal envy and strife and conflict, and all to the fullness of God's love and God's glory. And soon, we hope, the whole world will be filled with heaven's peace. So during this Advent season, may you relax into God's love for you and for the world. May you intentionally set aside the works of darkness in your own life and put on the armor of light. Somebody has to wake up and smell the dangers of complacency and carelessness in our world. Somebody has to be awake because the perils of war and evil are all around us. Somebody has to be reading. Somebody has to be writing. And somebody has to be praying. Serious times calls for serious measures all through the night watches. Stay awake. Jesus is coming. In the meantime, he's looking to us to offer a godly response to the spiritual darkness around us. Amen. Amen.